You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Today is a special day, uh, as many of you know, because today is Groundhog Day. Um, I'm happy to report that little Punxsutawney Phil uh, came out of his little hen, den, I don't know what they call it, that the groundhog lives in, but he did not see a shadow, which means early spring this year, so it's exciting news, uh, especially if you believe that a nine-pound rodent from Pennsylvania can predict the weather. It's perfect. Gives us hope, yeah. Uh, but it's also some other big day, it's this, a Super Bowl Sunday, yeah, yeah, we got the 49er proud over here, yeah. I am uh, excited about the game. Um, I think it's going to be great. Um, but I also understand that, that football is not for everyone. How many people are not into the football game at all today? Yeah. Well, that's wonderful because our friends over at Animal Planet have something for you as well. <laughs> the, the Puppy Bowl is also going on this, this today. Uh, enjoy that. It's a wonderful thing. Who doesn't like a puppy? Um, so it's, it's wonderful. But it's funny thinking about fans of differing uh, or opposing sports teams because it's, it's interesting how often they, they can disagree and disagree often very passionately. I have this friend at work, her name's Jackie. Um, she's a great nurse. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm a registered nurse. I work at the neonatal ICU at one of the hospitals in town. Jackie's a great nurse and um, she's a super, super sweet lady and I never thought that I would see this from her, but she's from Kansas City and has, has been a diehard Chiefs fan her whole life. I've been a San Francisco 49ers fan most of my life and she actually challenged me to a fist fight right there in the neonatal ICU. Um, I don't think I'm going to show up for it because she'd win. I can't fight. Um, but it's interesting thinking about opposing teams and, and just how they, how they want to fight each other. Um, but what about when the fight is between people in the same family? Uh, today we're going to see uh, the Apostle Paul confront Peter, and they are really going to have, I mean, it's, it's really a fight that happens here, but it, it's, it's a fight amongst family because they're both uh, brothers in the faith. And uh, last week, the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through Galatians, we saw um, In Gabe's sermon last week, Paul had, after 14 years of doing ministry, he had confirmed the gospel. He went to Jerusalem um, because he was called there by a vision or something that that called him to Jerusalem. And when he got there, he met with the church leaders. And it says that John and Mark and Peter, also known as Cephas, extended him the right hand of fellowship, which just means that they uh, they were willing to partner in the gospel. They were ready to partner together um, doing the work of the gospel. But today, in our text today, there is a very abrupt change that happens because Paul is confronting Peter um, on an issue, and it's, it's just interesting the way um, that it sets up. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We'll work through verse 14. Uh, just four short verses, but we're going to work through them one at a time. Um, so if you want to get your Bibles out, turn there now. But what I want you to notice as we go through this scripture, I want you to notice what it is that Paul is fighting for. Uh, I want you to notice why is he fighting for that thing, and then I, I want to talk about why we should also be fighting for that thing, and maybe some strategies, some ways that we can go about doing that. So if you have your Bible open up, let's take a look here. This is Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul comes out swinging here. 
He says, I, you know, I got right in his face. I opposed him to his face because he stood um, condemned. Paul here is explaining to the Galatian church something that happened. They probably were aware of what had happened. They probably had heard the stories about it. But Paul's explaining to them now and saying, look, here's, here's what happened. And if you'll remember with me last week, it said when Paul went to Jerusalem and met with the church leaders there, he met privately with them. Here it's a public confrontation because it's something that's affecting um, the whole church. And Paul's serious. He is angry. He's one of my favorite words. He's apoplectic. He's furious. Okay? Take a look at why. Uh, Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter had, had changed his behavior uh, previous to this, men, this group of men coming from James, he uh, had, had gone about doing the life of the church with all of the Jew and Gentile uh, Christians. And something now has changed. It says that he won't eat with the Gentiles, and it says it's because he was afraid of the circumcision group. Now, this, this dinner, or, or not eating with them, um, it's easy to kind of superimpose and look through this through the lens of our Western culture. Um, it's easy to picture a room, maybe like a room here, like when our journey meets on Wednesday nights, filled with tables, and the church is sitting down and having dinner, and, and Peter's walking in, and, and he's looking, okay, there's the Jewish Christians, they're the cool kids, there's the Gentiles, or kind of the others, so I'm going to go over here and sit with the cool kids. Um, that's not really what was happening here. It, it's so much bigger and, and, and more than that. It's not just a matter of not eating with the people. It's, it's all of the Jewish customs and laws that they had. Um, essentially, Peter was saying, if you want to become a, a real Christian, then you have to adopt all of these things as well. The other thing is, is, is the early church, most of the early church met inside of people's homes. And it wasn't a, a larger church building like we have. And so what that means practically then is it probably took some time to develop, but eventually Peter just stopped going to the Gentile Christians' homes altogether and would only associate with the, with the Jewish Christians. And it's crazy to me that Peter did this. And the, one of the reasons why is because Peter is the same guy who back in Acts chapter 10 had a very incredible uh, interaction with the Lord. Peter is on his roof, uh, he's praying on the roof, and he's really hungry, it says, and, and while he's praying, he suddenly has this vision from God. It's this giant sheet coming down from, from heaven, and on this sheet has all kinds of animals, both clean and unclean animals. And Jewish people, they grew up under the Mosaic law, this law that was given to them through the prophet Moses. And this law was written about, um, among other places, but in the book of Leviticus in chapter 20 specifically, they're told specifically about things that they can and they can't eat, among all kinds of other rituals and rules that they, that they were required to, to follow. And so I don't know specifically why God uh, made certain foods clean and other foods unclean, why he said like pork, for example, you can't eat, eat pork, um, the point is, it doesn't matter. God is God. He created the universe. He is in charge. If he wants to say pork is unclean and beef are clean, it's his prerogative to do. He is the one that gets to dictate what brings him honor and glory, and we must align our lives uh, around that. But Peter is, he, he's in this vision, and, and, and God tells him, Peter, basically look at all these animals. He says, kill and eat, and Peter is appalled. Take a look at what he says. This is Acts 10, verse 14. He says, surely not, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken 
back into heaven. God basically is telling Peter here, listen, Peter, if I've said it's clean, then it's clean. If I tell you that any food is okay to eat, then any food you want is okay to eat. And brothers and sisters, praise God that he made pork okay to eat, (laughs) right? I love the pulled pork, the ribs, uh, ham is a good cut, bacon's great. I love all the swine, all right? (laughs) Thank God he made pork clean. But God's also saying, Peter, not just food, whatever else I declare to be clean, even people, even Gentiles, they are clean if I say they are clean. And so Peter had that experience, and it, it, it changed him. It, it changed him, because immediately after that vision, he goes to a Gentile's um, house named Cornelius and, and spends some time there with him, which is something he wouldn't have done prior to this. And so now some time has passed, these, these Jewish men, they come, or Jewish Christian men, they come from James, and Peter, it says, he's, he, he's afraid, and so consequently, he, he, he stops seeing the Gentile Christians, stops spending time with them, stops being with them, and sending the message to them that if you don't become a Jew in all of the rituals and laws and everything, including eating the proper kinds of foods, you can't be a Christian. God doesn't really love you. And, and Paul's mad because it's not just affecting him. Take a look at what it says in verse 13. It says that other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas. Barnabas, we looked at last week, he is this great, incredible man of the faith. He's a pastor, he's a missionary, he's a friend, he's a brother to Paul. And he's saying even Barnabas was led astray. See, Peter's uh, behavior had a domino, a domino effect it says here that, that in their hypocrisy, this word hypocrisy is, is more of a theatrical term. It means literally like, like acting, like playing a part. And so what he's saying essentially is that, that, that Peter, you're, you're acting in a way, you're playing a part that, that isn't in line with who you really are. And he expands on that in this next verse. Look what he says in verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This acting in line phrase that he says, uh, it, it, it could be translated like ortho walking. Ortho is, is a, a, a prefix word that, that means um, straight or to be made straight in line. So if your teeth are crooked, you see an orthodontist, right? It's the same idea. Essentially what he's saying here is that, that Peter, um, by choosing not to eat with them, by declaring that they have to do all these customs and rituals and things, he says you're not acting in line with, you're not orienting your life around the gospel. You've made it something, you've made it something different. And so Paul is so mad, the thrust of, of, of the reason why he's coming to talk to Peter is because ultimately Paul is contending for, he is fighting for um, the gospel. That's what he's fighting for. Now, I, I want to make a couple of, of, of points here before we get into how we should also be contending or fighting for the gospel, because I want to talk about why. Why should we fight for the gospel? Friends, the first reason why is simply because truth matters, we live in a world that uh, has talked and, and constantly talks about kind of these shifting ideas of truth, that truth can be shifted. The phrase, I want to tell you my truth, makes me want to punch myself in the head. Um, friends, truth is truth, okay? You can bank on truth. Now, I'm not saying there's not different perspectives, but I'm saying there are things in the world that are simply true, period. If I let go of this clicker, what's it going to do? It's, it's going to hit the ground, And the reason why is because God, in his sovereignty and design, he made the world to have gravity so we all stick to the earth and we don't just fly off into space. It's wonderful, 
right? That will never change. Two plus two is four. And the truth of the gospel won't change either. Now, again, I know that we can have different perspectives. One of the ways that I know that um, is, is because of my wife. Uh, let me explain. <laughs> um, I've been married for almost 25 years. This, this summer will be 25 years. And even after a quarter of a century, my wife and I can still have conversations, and two days or a week or two weeks later, we'll, we'll talk about that same conversation, and somehow both of us remember the conversation completely differently. Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. So, so some of you know what I'm talking about. We can have different perspectives on things, and that can help shape uh, how we think about the world. But the bottom line is, is that truth exists, truth can be known. And Peter here, uh, by choosing to not eat with the Gentile Christians and saying, uh, if you really want to be in God's family, then you have to adopt all of these Jewish ways of life, is distorting and changing the truth of the gospel. And the gospel, my friends, is this. It's that, that we are a broken people in a broken world that do sinful and wrong things that break God's heart. And because of those things, it separates us from him. But God loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was murdered on a cross in a horrific way. He, he, he was put in a grave. Three days later, he resurrected himself from the grave. He ascended to heaven where he is currently ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father and he sent his, his Holy Spirit to be with us, to dwell inside of our hearts and lives, to empower us to live uh, for him, to bring glory to his name and to have right relationships with each other and the world around us. That's the gospel. Now friends, the truth is, is, is you're either saved by the gospel, you're saved by your belief in that or you're not. And Paul is contending for this gospel, for this truth, because truth matters. Um, The entire Bible and Jesus himself is emphatic about this. And so we, like Paul, must also contend for the gospel. So I wanna look at a few ways uh, that we do that. The first way we contend for the gospel is by protecting uh, the integrity of our influence. Another way to say this could just be simply, use your powers for good, not evil, right? We have influence in in the world around us. Peter was a leader inside of the church. And people look to Peter uh, for how they should live their life. They look to him as an example. And by Peter choosing to live a certain way, it affected the whole church. There were other Jewish Christians that, that started to follow suit like Peter. Now, Peter, I really don't think, was trying to undermine the gospel. I don't think he was. But that doesn't change the fact that by his behavior and by his actions, the gospel was compromised because of his fear of men. If you are a leader in the community in any way, a leader in, your, in the community in, in your job uh, or at school or maybe you're a teacher, then, then the way that you live your life matters. It just does. If you are a leader inside of the church, Uh, my fellow elders, uh, Sunday school teachers, uh, leaders, ministry leaders, pastors, shepherds, organizers, worship leaders, all all of you. Man, the way that you live your life, it matters. Because people are watching. People are noticing. And some of you might, might ask, Sean, I don't really consider myself to be a leader. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus, then I would say you're wrong. You are a leader. 
Because all of us who have chosen to put our faith and our hope in this gospel and have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God um, have been given something, something that has real power, something that has an opportunity to change the world around us. And so I don't care if you're six years old and you have younger siblings that you may be influencing, or if you're 106 years old and, and there's just a lot of people around you that have watched you for your whole life. You have influence, friends. You have influence in the circles and the, and the people around you. And so my question is, is, are you living your life in such a way that the integrity of your influence is protected? Are you using your powers for good, not evil? Are you living in such a way that people see the gospel on display in your life by the way that you live your life? Friends, we need to contend for the gospel. The next way that we contend for the gospel is by confronting when necessary. Um, This isn't always easy to do. Uh, Peter apparently failed to do it when the group had come from James because if Peter had just maybe stopped for a minute and said, uh, listen, guys, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I hear what you're saying, but, but the reality is, is, is you're distorting the gospel. Uh, it, maybe Peter could have told them about the vision that God himself had given him and told them that God told me in an audible voice, uh, if I declare something clean, then it's clean. These Jewish, or excuse me, these Gentile Christians are part of God's family. If he had just had that conversation, it could have saved so much trouble, but he chose not to, and so Paul had to confront him. And Paul's tone, it it sounds incredibly harsh when he is confronting here. It does sound harsh as the way we read it, um, but I think it's also really, really loving, and I'll tell you why. It's because Paul had Peter's best interests in mind, and he had the best interests in the mind of the church. And so for Paul, it wasn't about being proved right, it's about what was best for everyone, And so I want to talk for a minute about how do we do that? How do we practically confront when that needs to happen? And I I want to be clear, what I'm talking about here is confronting other uh, brothers and sisters that are in the church, other believers in the family of God. This is an in-the-family kind of discussion. So let me be clear by saying that. But uh, Jesus himself in, in Matthew 18 talks about this. It's basically this. If you see a sin that your brother or sister in Christ are uh, wrestling with, then invite a conversation with them. Go to them in humility and love and grace and in truth and speak to them. Ask them what's going on. Maybe somebody comes to me one day and says, Sean, you know, I've noticed that, that, that you're really super harsh with your wife and your kids all of the time. What's going on? Maybe you go to a trusted brother or sister and say, you know, I've noticed you just have a tendency to gossip all the time. What's happening? What, what, what's going on with you? And maybe, uh, maybe you know or are aware of uh, maybe somebody that has what we would call a bigger sin in their life. Maybe you so, know somebody inside the family of God that that's, uh, can't, can't get away from wrestling with pornography. Or maybe they run a business and you know that the way that they do business is very dishonest and ultimately they're robbing from people. Friends, we have a, a, a responsibility to, to have difficult conversations with people. Again, the conversations aren't there just to start a fight. The conversations are meant to have those people's best interests in mind when we do it. So pray, ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you when you walk into those conversations. Ask the Spirit of God to give you discernment because maybe you just think something's going on and there really isn't something going on. Sometimes that happens too. But people don't always, they don't always respond 
And so if that doesn't work, then, then the, the scripture tells us to get another friend, preferably somebody who's close to that person, who's also friends with them. Get a friend to come with you, another trusted friend to, to encounter, to enca- engage with them, to confront them. If that doesn't work, then get help from, from the church. That's why we're here. Get help from a leader in the church. But it doesn't always turn out the way that I think we would want it to turn out. That's, that's just the reality. And so when that happens, I think it's also important to trust the Holy Spirit of God to do his work in his kids. And maybe what's happening there is you're planting a seed and watering a seed, and the Holy Spirit is going to make that seed grow so that maybe the person doesn't repent right in the moment, but maybe in a month or two months or a year or five years from now, the person is going to look back and remember on that conversation and remember what happened there. And that might have been the start of a change inside of their heart and life. So be willing to have the conversation. But what if it's not a sin issue necessarily? What if it's just a confusion or frustration or maybe differences in in doctrine? Well, many of the same principles still apply. We should do it in humility, um, with grace and love, with an open Bible and an open mind and heart. My wife and I at our, our previous church came to a point where we felt like it was time to leave our church. And it was a very hard, hard decision. It was the only church my kids had ever known. Uh, we had lots of, of friendships there with, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to say this clearly. The people at that church are Christians. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They love Jesus. But we just had come to a point where we realized we didn't line up on some doctrinal things. And so we, we, we wanted to leave well. We wanted to, to not do any damage to the church. But, but, but we really felt like we needed to leave. So we scheduled an appointment with the lead pastor at the time and we met with him. And I gotta be honest, from my perspective, I don't think that that conversation went very well. Um, I wish that it had gone better. It didn't feel like it went very well to me. But the only thing that I can do, the only thing I know to do, is to trust the spirit of God there too. Trust that his grace is big enough, because it is. Now, two extremes I wanna caution us against. One is to avoid the confrontation altogether. This is what Peter seemed to do when the group came from James. He seemed to just avoid the confrontation altogether. But the other extreme is, is equally as harmful, I think, and that's to go to an extreme where you're aggressive in your confrontation. And honestly, when, I think when we approach people like that, it's super obnoxious and I think does very little to change anything other than create perhaps more division and more hurt feelings. We need to avoid both of those extremes, but we need to be willing to contend for the gospel by confronting when necessary. The last way that we um, contend for the gospel is by fighting for unity. Have you noticed how polarizing our culture is? I don't think it was all that different in Peter and Paul's day. Because in Peter and Paul's day, they had uh, Jewish and Gentile people Uh, They had Jewish and Gentile Christians. They had uh, all kinds of people groups living in the area that had all kinds of uh, different uh, fake and false gods that they worshipped. They had governments. They had different people groups, cultures, and backgrounds that they brought into it. And I think what it really set up for them, and in a similar way sets up for us, is an us versus them mentality. Not just like 49ers and Chiefs fans, but it's an us versus them mentality and it's everything in our culture. Do you remember this picture? Yeah, this is a picture of former President George Bush and Ellen DeGeneres sitting at a football game, enjoying a football game together. When this picture came out on the internet, 
there was almost smoke coming off the internet, <laughs> okay? People were hammering away in all caps. Okay, what is she doing with him? Why is he hanging out with her? Why do they look like they're having a good time? Well, because they're at a football game. So they should be having a good time with each other at a football game. That's, that's what they're there to do, is enjoy the time together. But see, our culture is not about unity. It's about disunity. But we as Christians... We have, um, I think, not only an opportunity, I think we have a responsibility to fight and work toward unity in the world. And we can do that for the sake of the gospel in our everyday lives. We can do that in the ways that we interact with people outside of the church. Paul, uh, the apostle, in his letter to the Romans, he's talking about, in the 12th chapter, he's talking about how do we love each other well inside of the church, but then in chapter 14, he shifts to talking about people outside of the church. Take a look at what he says. Romans 12, verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And I think this is the, the key verse here in this section. It's verse 18 it says, If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace um, with everyone. This relates to what we were talking about earlier, about using your powers for good, not evil. We need to be living at peace with those around us. We need to be bringing unity and the, the incredible kingdom of God into the world around us. I have another friend at work. Her name is Doreen. And Doreen is, um, she's amazing, amazing woman. She's 60-something years old. She's got full sleeve tats. She continues to get more. She's kind of hardcore, but she's awesome. She's, she's uh, on the unit, we call her Mama Doe because she's like our, our Mama Doreen. She is. She's, she's, a, she's a wonderful lady and an incredible nurse, and I love her. Um, and one of the things I love about her is that her and I have dialogues regularly about really controversial things. And one of the interesting things about Doreen is that we're able to have these dialogues, and, and there's still mutual respect for one another. One of the things I appreciate most about her is she really, really listens to me. She really cares what I think and really wants to have um, and hear my opinion on things. Uh, one recent time uh, earlier this year, she came into uh, the room I was working in and she said, hey, Sean, I want to ask you a question. And she, she, she asked me a question about what I thought about whatever the current political hot to- topic button was that day. And I watched everybody else in the room go, they started to kind of freak out because they didn't know what was about to happen. And I said, girls, just settle down. Everything's okay. Um, Doreen and I have these conversations all the time. Um, but, but friends, I, I think what you'll find if you choose to, to, to approach things with humility and with grace and with kindness and really truly work to listen to other people's perspectives and point of view, you will find that you can have some of the best conversations in the world around you with people that completely disagree with you on some things. And, and I think here's the best part, I think that you will also find there is so much more that you agree on than you disagree on as people. So try to build unity. Work to build unity in the people around you. Because the reality is, is, is when we do that, it opens up opportunities to share the gospel with people. It, it, it opens up the opportunities to make friends with other people as well. And it's terrible um, when these kinds of divisions happen in the world around us because really what they are is legalisms, right? They're, they're essentially legalisms. And what's happening in our text today is, is a legalism that's happening inside the church and I would submit that that is even worse because Peter is acting in a way 
that's saying that these Gentile Christians can't really be Christian unless they adopt all of the Jewish customs as well. That's a legalism. It's a nationalistic legalism. Legalism is defined in a number of ways. I like this definition from Tim Keller. He says, legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ to be acceptable before God. Um, That is looking to something besides Jesus Christ. Again, the gospel, his death, burial, resurrection, uh, ascension, and indwelling of a spirit. He says, it's looking to something besides Jesus Christ to be acceptable before God. Legalism always results in pride and fear psychologically and exclusion and strife uh, socially. Friends, contending for the gospel by fighting for unity inside the church is so, so important because unfortunately, there are legalisms inside the church of God as well. In a group this size, I would submit that there are also legalisms inside of our own church here. You see, legalisms can come out in different ways. It can be preferences and convictions about style of music or dress or emotional responsiveness. Legalism can come out in preferences or convictions about whether it's okay to have a coffee shop in your church or not. I don't even like coffee. I'm pro-coffee shop. Um, But I have had conversations with Christians that think it's downright sinful and would say, we are being sinful by having a coffee shop in our church. Legalisms come out in preferences and convictions about specific denominations, and maybe most crucially in our current day and age, legalisms come out in preferences and convictions about politics and socioeconomics. Are there people inside of the church, and I don't just mean here at Grace, but I I do mean that partially, but are there people inside of the church that you will not talk with, spend time with, or like Peter, eat with, because they are not like you. Friends, if that's true of you, then that is a legalism, and that needs to be repented of. We must contend for the gospel by fighting for unity. My brother Gabe last week said this about unity. He said, the gospel is not about anarchy. He said, the gospel is about unity. He said that we all, that is all followers of Jesus, have one thing in common, and that is Jesus himself. We must be contending for the gospel in all areas of our lives. I love Peter, and one thing I love about Peter is that I'm a lot like he is. I I identify with him. Peter's one of the most passionate followers of Jesus that we see inside the scripture. And Peter will do crazy things for the gospel. He'll go to crazy lengths, I think of the time when he was in the garden when Jesus was gonna get arrested and Peter pulls out his knife and cuts off a guy's ear because he's like, not now, not on my watch. It was the wrong thing to do, but he was passionate about it. And not too long after that, Peter's standing around a campfire and he's denying Jesus. In this text we looked at today, Peter's been passionately serving the kingdom of God for a long time and suddenly something happens and his heart gets pulled away. I can be that way. I'm passionate about the gospel. And sometimes I still blow it. But one thing I love about Peter is that Peter consistently, when he does blow it, he runs back toward Jesus. He runs back to the gospel. He runs back to the church. He is repentant and he moves on with his life. And that's what I'm striving to be. That's the kind of man I want to be. By God's grace, I'm getting better. 
but, but it's a slow process sometimes. Friends, is that the kind of person that you want to be? Is that the kind of person that you are? Somebody that's contending for the gospel in, in all the ways that you can, and when you trip and fall, get up, dust yourself off, go to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness for the people around you you may have hurt, and then move on and learn. So that's the kind of people that we need to be. In Peter's day, Peter refused to eat with the Gentile Christians, and it caused huge division in the church. And I think one of the reasons why is because eating together in most cultures is so much more than just about getting nutrition into your body. For most cultures all around the world, this is true and has always been true. There's something about eating together because it's about um, a family, it's about community, it's about being together. I want to close with... uh, Something that we're actually going to study here in a a couple of weeks together. Um, End of uh, Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. And I would add this. There is neither rich or poor. There is neither uh, uh, black or brown or white. There is neither Republican or Democrat. He says this, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. According to his promise. Let me pray God's blessing over you. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for the work you continue to do in our hearts and lives. And Father, I pray that, God, we would be a people that would be about the gospel and about unifying around your gospel. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for all of the ways that you love us. Uh, We thank you, Lord. I pray everybody in the room, myself included, would continue to walk um, in line with the gospel. Father, bless my friends today. Keep them safe this week. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Grace. Have a great week. Go 49ers. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.